Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Monday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, where there is still a sense of disbelief over what we saw last weekend in Russia. And we're hearing now for the first time from President Biden about all of this. He held an event on infrastructure broadband earlier today in the East Room of the White House. His message... Don't look at me. They agreed with me that we had to make sure we gave Putin no excuse. Let me emphasize, we gave Putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. We made clear that we were not involved. We had nothing to do with it. This was part of a struggle within the Russian system. I also talked at length with President Zelensky of Ukraine. I'll be keeping in contact with him. I may be peaking him later today, early tomorrow morning, to make sure we continue to remain on the same page. I told them that no matter what happened in Russia, let me say it again, no matter what happened in Russia, we, the United States, would continue to support Ukraine's defense and its sovereignty and its territorial integrity. That's just a short time ago after being conspicuously quiet over the weekend. And we're joined now by Nick Wadhams, Bloomberg's national security reporter, who I'm sure when you left here Friday, Nick, uh, you couldn't have imagined what shape this would take. We were hearing about this, though, right. late Friday, right? And now, my gosh, after what we saw, I guess I would ask you, uh, first of all, it, this is over, right? Members of uh, of the Wagner Group are I guess, apparently being uh, added somehow to the Russian military and Mr. Prigozhin will start cooking for people in Belarus. Well, what, what's yes, the fallout? You know, it's a it's a great question, and this is exactly one of the things that Joe Biden said that they're still assessing the consequences of this thing. I mean, the big question is how weak uh, is Vladimir Putin now? You know, for a leader who whose legitimacy uh, and sense of control rests almost entirely on the on the impression of how much control he has over the military and his own people, you know, something like this. I mean, these fighters took over a city, Rostov-on-Don, in yeah. southern Russia, and then they marched to within 200 miles of Moscow. I mean, it's just crazy. Without a real challenge. Without any real challenge. And then... So, you know, we there was a moment on Friday evening where, you know, and then into the night where we thought, oh, my God, are we seeing an actual coup? Uh, what What is the end point going to be of this thing? And then it all sort of dissipated as quickly as it had begun. Prigozhin said, OK, we're turning around. And then they cut this deal where he's supposed to go to Belarus. So we're still trying to figure that out. But, you know. This is going to shake the foundations for a lot of people of Putin's grip on power. The question is what he does now. Obviously, the media is very tightly controlled in Russia, so right. there's not a real sense uh, that this is being heavily discussed. Um, so, so many questions. So. so many questions. And as we read on the terminal, uh, Wagner chief says he had no plan to overthrow Putin's right. government, which is pretty remarkable. He did speak earlier today. Our march, we started. 
Now, we're getting used to these uh, these soliloquies from the chef here. What do you make of that? We didn't have the goal, he says, of overthrowing the existing regime and legitimacy elected, uh, legitimately elected government. An 11-minute message here, he says, we did not want to spill Russian blood. Well, was he just trying to shake him up? Well, so the, I mean, the the narrative all along here has been that his problem was what his beef was with how Russian forces were prosecuting the war mm-hmm. in Ukraine. If he had really gone after Putin himself, that would be seen as a really direct, uh, uh, like throwing down the gauntlet to, to President Putin, and would seemingly result in you know his destruction. That's why you saw some very tough comments from Putin early on, saying this amounts to treason. But then you know, <laughs> Prigozhin sort of gets a mulligan and says, "Hey, no, our problem was not with you. It right. was with the defense minister Sergei Shoigu and the way that." You know, this war is being prosecuted. You know, if we were in charge, you, President Putin, would be able to get what you wanted in a much uh, more efficient way. So we're not saying you're doing anything wrong. Uh, So but, you know, it was initially, though, one of the things that caused so much concern was he said he raised questions about the whole enterprise, about whether it was smart to go into Russia and into Ukraine in the first place. The the foundation of the whole war. Exactly. And so that then made people think, okay, well, that is a challenge to Putin. Now, though, where are we? Three days later, it all blurs together. It seems like he's backing down pretty significantly from that. And we had the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, saying that Wagner would be allowed to continue to operate in other countries, you know, oh. particularly in Africa. Africa so it's yeah. like they're being they're being told they're going to be allowed to exist. Wow. And I can only so. imagine to what extent they will be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president spoke with uh, Vladimir Zelensky uh, as he made clear. I'm sure in your head over the weekend as you cover this, uh, you're thinking, boy, th- is this not an opportunity for Ukrainian forces? What must the Pentagon be telling them right now? Well, that that is another one of the big questions. And we did just report that the administration is sending another $500 million in weapons to Ukraine. So what, uh, this was probably in train for a little while, but it does certainly send a signal. I mean, the big question is here, d- does this lead Ukraine to press its advantage in the counteroffensive, or is there a concern that it may lead Putin to do something irrational? Obviously, he has nuclear weapons. Uh, he may not want to look weak. Uh, there may be, you know, an intensified bombing campaign in Ukraine. So the, the instinctive feeling was, okay, this is a great time for Ukraine to press the counteroffensive, mm-hmm. push ahead, allied support remains strong. But is this actually good for Ukraine? And that's another question we're still trying to answer. It's nothing but questions today, and, and we're that's asking right. some pretty tough ones. Nick, thank you, My as pleasure. always. Uh, after a working weekend, Nick Wadhams, Bloomberg National Security Correspondent. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, as we add the voice of Brett Bruin, former White House Global Engagement Director, now president of the Global Situation Room. Uh, Brett is joining us from overseas in London today, and it's great to have you back, uh, Brett. I think we could argue that Prigozhin ripped the covers off Putin's bed over the weekend. What did he expose in terms of potential weaknesses or existing weaknesses for Vladimir Putin? Well, quite a few, and I think it's quite frankly hard to put that toothpaste back in uh, the tube at this point, you you have a situation where Prigozhin clearly was aware of the points where Putin is most vulnerable, where the Russian military is most vulnerable. He exploited them, and, and he's now essentially given a playbook for all of the other detractors, of which there are many in the Russian military and amongst Russian elites, to go after Putin. 
So there are going to be a lot of questions about both characters here. Prigozhin as well. Does he spend the rest of his life in Belarus, or does he end up being Putin's ally at some point again? Is that possible? I think his days are numbered. You do not uh, go after Putin like this and live to tell the tale. And as we've seen in cases, uh, for instance, here in the United Kingdom, uh, Putin has both a, a long memory and a long arm. And so Prigozhin, I think, is a marked man. Uh, mm. But that being said, for the moment, uh, he has uh, resettled to Belarus and, and perhaps will find himself in Africa where Wagner has a, a huge presence. But um, he is not, uh, unfortunately, going to uh, uh, survive uh, this attempt. Um, I think, unfortunately, for him at least, um, this was a miscalculation. What uh, changed his mind? What uh, turned him away from taking down uh, the uh, Russian government? We will find out, I imagine, in the coming months. Well, that is the big question now. There are reports that his family was being threatened by the Kremlin. Does that ring true? Well, that is a tried and true tactic when uh, you have uh, those, whether they're dissidents, political figures who have left the country and, and Putin will try to dissuade them from taking uh, action by threatening those that are closest. Prigozhin, I'm not sure that that would have changed his calculus. I think, quite frankly, it, it was something even more sinister, uh, something uh, we, we could imagine was either uh, an attack on his troops with some uh, large-scale weapons. It could be uh, some other uh, ways in which Putin knows his vulnerabilities, knows the skeletons that are in his closet, um, and those would have been exposed. So perhaps Prigozhin decided it was best to avoid that and to escape to live another day. But you think he's a marked man. You don't think he's going to be on this earth a lot longer, it sounds like. Just based on uh, everything that we know about Putin, uh, you do not uh, go after him. And certainly Prigozhin has gone after him in a much more aggressive way than anything that we have seen over the last couple of decades. So mm -hmm. Putin is already busy at work and understanding a little bit of, of how Putin's mind works. Uh, he's developing those plans of what can I do that uh, will both remove Prigozhin as well as those around him. I mean, there were dozens, hundreds even, of Russian military officials that either looked the other way, turned uh, sides in this uh, uprising. And I think uh, Putin is certainly going to remove all of them, and they will face uh, a very um, difficult day before Russian justice. You seem to think, and, and you can correct me on this, that, that Prigozhin is, is defanged at least to some extent. What does that mean then? If, if he's in Belarus, what does it mean for neighbors of Belarus? Should Poland be worried? Should other NATO allies be worried because they're next door? I, I would have less concerns about uh, NATO allies. I, I do think, quite frankly, what we saw play out on Friday and Saturday was um, alarming for the world, the, the possibility that Prigozhin um, had... Uh, potentially within his grasp, nuclear weapons. That is really alarming. I don't know that he or even Wagner uh, affiliates will necessarily get there again, but um, the possibility of other groups, of other figures uh, using that game plan and trying uh, to seize a nuclear weapon mm. from a very fragile Russian state is uh, certainly a prospect that a lot of military planners right now are drawing up. Which I suspect you were thinking about over the weekend, having been at the White House in times of geopolitical crisis. Uh, 
What was that like? The president was at Camp David. What was it like behind the scenes, Brett? Well, you're trying to figure out um, all of the different ramifications from this. Not mm-hmm. only what does it look like if Wagner forces get to Moscow, but looking out across uh, Russia's borders, what's getting out uh, both who, but with what uh, are they escaping at this point? And we saw a number of Russian officials, oligarchs who were leaving the country. They could be carrying with them chemical, biological, mm-hmm. uh, other weapons uh, agents, all of that is a huge risk uh, for global stability. Those kinds of things are running through your mind and are obviously running through discussions in the Situation Room. Brett, I've got just about a minute left. What lesson did China learn over the weekend? Well, I think we've learned from the last year and a half that these authoritarian leaders are more vulnerable than they appear. And I've been arguing, Joe, as you know, from the very beginning, that we have to blow away some of the propaganda and some of the hype that their rule is built on. And Prigozhin, in one sense, has given us that model of saying we can actually show how utterly fragile uh, Putin, as well as Xi Jinping, uh, Kim Jong-un are. And I think the world would be a better place when we do so. You know, they have been saying that President Xi is watching Ukraine to figure out what to do with Taiwan. And you do wonder to what extent his calculation changed over the weekend. Brett, thank you for joining us live from London. Brett Bruin, former White House Global Engagement Director, now president of the Global Situation Room with us in the U.K. Should be about dinner time there. Hope you have a good evening, Brett. As we assemble our panel next, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are in with political analysis following the weekend that wasn't for Mr. Prigozhin. What does it mean for Vladimir Putin going forward? A lot of questions here inside the Beltway. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. What does the power struggle lead to in Ukraine, never mind Russia? Big questions we have this morning following this remarkable event over the weekend, watching the tanks roll 
as Mr. Prigozhin made his way almost to Moscow. Now, he's saying this morning, if you're just catching up on things, Evgeny Prigozhin says he never intended to topple the Putin regime. He was just trying to shake up the military brass. But I'll tell you what, on Saturday, you could have fooled me and a lot of other people. As they made their way within 150 miles of Moscow, took over an important city for the Russian military, only to be turned back 150 miles away. As I mentioned, the Daily Telegraph reporting Russian agents threatened to go after Mr. Prigozhin's family, which rings true to some, including Brett Bruin, who we just spoke with. We assemble our panel now after a, I think we can all say, historic weekend, no matter what it leads to. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors uh, Rick, I know you were watching along with everybody else here on Saturday. What do you think made him turn around? Well, I'm sure it was a threat to his life, his family's lives, and a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card to go live happily ever after in uh, in Belarus. So look, That's a big I mean, change after imagine. he said that he wasn't afraid of dying and he was rolling to, to get Putin, I thought. how did <laughs> It's like night and day after what we heard. Yeah, I think it's fair to say he was probably gaming Putin, right? Everything we've learned to this point is that, um, you know, he was looking for something and something probably included not having attacks on his own people. Because remember what precipitated this was an attack on his Wagner troops, Mm -hmm. you know, who were bivouacked outside the battle zone uh, by regular uh, Russian army. And so I think this was his way of getting back at them. I think this was probably as inspired by emotion as it was by strategy. Uh, but getting halfway there and then, you know, fleeing town and, you know, probably showing up somewhere in Belarus, you know, just indicates that he didn't have much of a plan. Right. I mean, this right. is a guy who works off of emotional uh, impulses. And and my guess is we're trying to we're trying to put strategy behind uh, just somebody being really pissed off. Wow. Uh Brett Bruin, Jeannie, didn't seem to think uh, that Mr. Prigozhin would be around for a lot longer, said he was a marked man. Uh, is he safe even in Belarus at this point, or does he live to see another day? Joe, this is why I warn you, don't empower your chef too much. Be very <laughs> careful how much power, and they're emotional to Rick's Keep your point, eyes so on the caterer. Keep your eye on the caterer. Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't seem like he would have uh, very long to live. In fact, uh, the Russian media today is reporting that despite this you know, agreement, quote unquote, that was reached to end this thing in a compromise Mm -hmm. that they are announcing that the investigation still continues. Um, And Putin did say in his uh, remarks that there was going to be harsh consequences for any activity. So, you know, I I don't think I would feel very safe uh, going to Belarus or elsewhere if I was him. But, you know, so much of what happened over the weekend raised so many questions to your earlier guest point, including the the fact does the criticism that he launched um, about the war in Russia, the war in Ukraine, rather, does that have any resonance with the Russian people? This idea that this war to begin with was a war that was misguided and a war of choice that shouldn't have been uh, that they shouldn't have entered into um, that. And also, I was stunned by Putin's analogy to the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. That was a loser <laughs> for Russia. So yeah, I'm not sure what well. that what that what that was about. <laughs> I don't have answers on that one or any of these, really, uh, Rick. I do wonder, though, we haven't seen Vladimir Putin. Uh, to what extent did this weaken him and, and I guess, define his inner circle more closely? 
Well, you never, Joe, you never want to have the entire weekend spent uh, being referred to as being humiliated, um, uh, especially if you're Vladimir Putin, who yeah. I think his status in the world has always been very important to him. Uh, and arguably for the last two years since the invasion of Ukraine, he's whittled away at that uh, almost on a daily basis. But this was a big leap. Uh, this showed that the emperor has no clothes, that his control over people like Progrosin, who he has invented, these these oligarchs who he invented, uh, and, and, and the entire establishment of the military, which has had its own issues uh, with, with performance uh, in Ukraine, uh, it just shows that everything we thought about this country uh, may be wrong, and that everything we thought about the secure grip on power that Putin had may be wrong too. And mm-hmm. and 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 Putin lives off of these images, right? This is, you know, it's not the actual control you have; it's the image of control that you have that keeps people in place. Uh, we saw uh, a lot of protests uh, a year ago on the war and and against it. Um, in in Moscow, he shut that down by arresting and killing people. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that's going to rear up its ugly head again and and people in 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 russia decide okay we've had enough of this guy he's not what we thought he was boy that that would be quite the change though we did see uh prigozhin at least his people as they rolled into these towns on the way to moscow they were celebrated uh by russian civilians genie who clearly do not favor this war and you wonder what that means for the trajectory of combat in ukraine That's right. In fact, they were cheered in some places, and we know even members of the Russian military, they they did not help, but they did not stop these troops as they kept marching along. And again, it does raise this question, does his argument about the war resonate or you know start a a trickle effect or or otherwise to get people out to the streets or otherwise to say you know this is not what we should be doing i think one real impact here as it concerns the war is the argument has long been made and putin has long expressed the idea that he has time on his side he can sort of sit and eventually the united states and europe will give up and we've heard questions even in european capitals we've heard questions in washington how long can we continue to do this Mm -hmm. well now given what's happened in the last 72 hours. Time is not on Putin's side. If his chef can do this, what else can be done to disrupt his plans to sit in Ukraine until we give up? So the argument that he has time, maybe not as much as he thought. Are you suggesting he does uh, something uh, extreme? We get some sort of knee-jerk reaction here in the coming days to make a point? Absolutely. It's absolutely possible. I mean, this is a real humiliation to Rick's point. This is a real challenge to his authority. And what do frightened cornered animals do? They lash back and he could very easily lash back. So while people are saying Ukraine's in a better position today than it was 72 hours ago, they also can be facing new threats from a man who controls how many? 6,000 nuclear weapons around Russia, which have to be, uh, you know, watched very carefully. So is this a military moment, an opportunity for Ukraine, Rick, or would that have required Prigozhin going all the way to Moscow to distract the Russian military. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of uh, of, of aftermath following the march to Moscow here. Yeah, my, my sense is that, and every Russia observer I've talked to, is there's a lot going on inside the, the Kremlin that we don't know much about. Um, uh, whether the Minister of Defense and the 
top general staff uh, survive this. It's an enormous embarrassment. And forget being embarrassed by their lackluster performance, yeah. uh, you know, in uh, in in Ukraine. Uh, forget the uh, unmitigated attack on Progrosian's own troops, um, you know, that they that they facilitated, at least mm-hmm. according to him. And and forget the fact that you know, virtually unopposed. Progrosian and his troop of Wagner mercenaries were able to go into Rostov von Dom and and take over the southern command of the military and then head up the highway to, to Moscow. I mean, like, where was the army? <laughs> so I don't think this goes um, uh, without uh, significant uh, impact because the people of, of Russia got wind of this, right? They now know what's been happening. Uh, Putin mm-hmm. himself pointed it out. And and I can't imagine it's going to be business as usual. Uh, they'll try to show stability, but I think you know Putin's got to look inside his own organization and say, "I've got a disaster on my hands, and if I don't fix it, it's on me." President Biden speaking today, Jeannie said the U.S. had nothing to do with this. The U.S. and NATO had nothing to do with it. Part of a struggle within the Russian system, he said. What's the point of even saying all of that? Why not let people think what they want? I think they're trying to use the same tactic they have, which is to try to stop Russia and Putin from trying to lay the blame elsewhere. We heard the same message from the Secretary General of of NATO. And also, we are two weeks out of this big NATO summit. And so, you know, that'll happen in Lithuania in two weeks. And so much of that summit will now be, you know, focused on what is happening and what has happened over the weekend. And I think they're going to continue to make the case that this is an internal Russian issue of which they had nothing to do. While all this was happening on Saturday, the man who says he can solve the Ukraine war in less than 24 hours was speaking to an adoring crowd here in Washington. That, of course, would be the former president, Donald Trump. We're going to get into that as the candidates get back on the trail this week following the big evangelical confab here in Washington over the weekend. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. It's feeling a lot like campaign season. Washington is now empty. God, that was a nice ride in this morning. Park where you want. The candidates are on the road. 
Summer is here. Even Joe Biden gets back out there this week with fundraisers and events in Maryland and Chicago. Today they're talking Bidenomics at the White House, infrastructure and broadband for all. It's feeling like we're getting there. And this comes after the big evangelical summit we talked about on Friday, the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Mike Pence holding forth, Chris Christie getting booed, Ron DeSantis doing his thing. And the big closer, of course, Saturday night, the former president, Donald Trump at the Washington Hilton. Thank you very much. Thank you. Isn't it great? Saturday night, we're here for religion. Is that nice? Yes. What a job Ralph has done. Like every Saturday night at Mar-a-Lago, as we reassemble our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here off the weekend, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Rick, I'm not sure who that event actually helped. We saw a lot of candidates trying to ingratiate themselves uh, to that audience, but it was Donald Trump who owned it. Yeah, Donald Trump owns that audience. He gave them something that no other president has has even tried to do, and that is a rock-solid majority in the Supreme Court on abortion and ultimately uh, throwing Roe v. Wade out. So for a lifetime, he's got a pass with this crowd, whether it's Saturday night or Tuesday night. And and the reality is he deserves that for that reason. Don't try to match his credentials on on um, you know his faith with people like Tim Scott or mm-hmm. or Vice President Pence, uh, but uh, he was able to do something that that really uh, has defied other uh, leaders of our country, and and he and he gets credit with this group for that, and 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 specifically only for that. So there's new polling out uh, today, Jeannie came out over the weekend, in fact, from NBC News. Uh, and it shows that the the most recent indictment, so we have two now and we may have four at some point here, uh, are, are just don't seem to matter to Trump supporters. Fifty five percent of independent voters, a majority of all registered voters have concerns. Republicans, not so much. Uh, this is the, the this the the Fifth Avenue situation, right? Uh, six out of 10 Republicans believe the indictments and investigations are politically motivated. That means the president's, the former president's narrative is resonating. Listen to him here. Every time the radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists, and fascists indict me, I consider it a great badge of courage. It's a big applause line, Jeannie. Now, half of Republican primary voters in this poll say they would consider another leader besides Trump. But who could name him? Well, that's right. And you're talking about a group where you've got about a third, maybe even more, who have very negative feelings towards the FBI. So his argument that he is being indicted for political reasons really does resonate. Um, And, you know, there has been a lot of sort of, you know, hand-wringing about why the multiple indictments have not dampened their support. In fact, quite quite the opposite. But the reality is, is that, you know, there is the option that they may not be fessing up to pollsters when mm-hmm. they're feeling like they may be open to other candidates. Um, and there's also the fact that you do have a substantial amount of Americans who feel that the justice system is not treating people equally. And so those two things he's able to use, at least to this point, to his advantage. We don't know if that's going to continue. And then, of course, these are about choices and who, to your point, is the alternative. We've seen Chris Christie's poll numbers creeping up a bit in places like New Hampshire, but Ron DeSantis's are down there. Um, You know, there is not really a strong 
strong, viable second in the poll you're talking about. DeSantis's support was down nine points. So, you know, these numbers are not good. And, you know, I just heard somebody today, a Republican, say that, you know, they don't know what could happen to, you know, get knocked Donald Trump out of this point at, at this spot at this point. Certainly this rash of indictments doesn't seem to hurt him at all. This was uh, June 16 to June 20, Rick. Republican primary voters, Donald Trump, 46, uh, coming off of a 51% reading in June. Barely, uh, in April, rather, it barely budged. This is April to June. Ron DeSantis comes in at 22 to Trump's 51, and everybody else is in single digits. But the piece that everybody's been paying attention to is the hypothetical. It actually shows that Joe Biden leads Donald Trump by four points in a general election matchup, that number small enough that we don't pay attention to it, Rick? Does it mean anything at this point? Well, I don't think any of these national polls mean anything at this point. I mean, yeah. they really aren't even informative on on trends. Um, you know, they are a lot of these candidates who are running against Donald Trump don't really have much name ID. They, they're not campaigning nationwide. They're campaigning in a couple of early caucus and primary states. And and so you're never going to get a true picture of this election, mm-hmm. um, you know, on this. Now, how do you people feel about Donald Trump? That's something you can get a poll around because Trump's got 100 percent name ID. He was president for four years. He was a candidate prior to that. And when you have 50 percent of that same sample saying they don't want Trump, they want somebody else. That is a tough harbinger for Trump. Right. I mean, that means that 50 percent of the Republican primary field is is open to suggestion for him. And then the question is, you know, out of the 50 that will take him, how many of those are going to be dissuaded and how many of those are already supporting somebody else? And and, and that means somebody else in Iowa and somebody else in New Hampshire. So I think they're informative in the sense that um, uh, they tell you a little bit of something about Biden and something about Trump. But I don't think it's really informative about anything else and especially not a big national matchup like Biden versus Trump. Um, it, it gives steam to people like Christie who want to say, hey, this is a, he's, we're going to make him a four-time loser. He's already lost three direct elections, and uh, and now the last thing we want to do is lose again to Joe Biden. So that, I think, thematically is probably a decent attack. But but Christie's like, look, I'm making progress. I'm you know My hits against Donald Trump are working, except they're not showing up in any of these polls. Right. So uh, at some point in time, he's going he's gonna to have to show some progress. And and he's the only real uh, attacker on Trump. Uh, you'll notice hardly anybody else at the Faith and, and Freedom uh, Caucus uh, this weekend uh, really took a direct shot at name. Trump. Not at all. So when you look at this, uh, this, this field of candidates here, like I mentioned, uh, Trump 51, DeSantis 22, Pence is in third at seven percentage points, Jeannie. And it gets pretty thin after that. Haley, four, Scott, three, the aforementioned Chris Christie, five. Did I just read off the debate stage for August? You did. And, you know, imagine, I mean, I would hope that Pence would make it, but it's a high bar to make it. Um, you know, so so it's going to be a very small field, it looks like, at least for the, this debate. And to your earlier point, I'm looking at the Real Clear Politics average. Biden is up plus 0.1. Again, 0.1. They are tied at 43.7 and 43.6. I mean, it's outrageous. And the NBC poll, of course, his plus four is within the margin. So they are in a dead heat, you know, quite frankly, a dead heat to the bottom because their approval ratings are both so low. It's a race to the bottom. And our panel has some remaining thoughts next because this could come. Well, I'll hold that next. Rick and Jeannie, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The presidential race came down with physical fitness. It may not be much of a contest, so it seems today. After video of RFK Jr. working out went viral on social media. Grab your weights. He's bench pressing here, about 150 pounds. You hear the music in the gym? This after his trainer tweeted, this was his last drop set at 50% of his max for today. Run it, run it, run it, run it, run it, run it. Yeah. So presumably he can press 300 pounds. Let's go, let's go. Here we go, one more. Up, 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 That's it. Now this was such a revelation. Good job on that one. Okay. Kennedy posted another video, this Let's one, go. yesterday, of him doing push-ups. He's working, he's topless, by the way, in both of these. Same music. Yeah, this is a little bit too much, though. I feel like I back off with that microphone. That's a fit boy. Yeah, fit boy. Coming off... Miami Mayor Francis Suarez campaign video showing him running around and working out. I'm starting to wonder here. Maybe they just put all the candidates on a track. Maybe it's an arm wrestling event. I'm not sure, but Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano can help us figure this out. Rick, uh, does this break a rule of campaigning? You know, you've got your candidate out there. He's topless. He's lifting weights. Or is that actually the way this is supposed to be done? There, There it it. It doesn't break any rules in campaigning. Uh, If you want to make it about your rack, you can do it by doing exactly what he did. I just remember the Dole campaign one day in a, you know, uh, T-shirt walking the beach. Bob Dole decided to show that he was still a uh, uh, really uh, athletic guy and totally backfired. So uh, you got to be careful what you ask for on these (laughs) things. But my only request is you refer to it as shirtless and not topless. Fine. Shirtless it is, uh, Jeannie. I I wonder, does this say more about RFK Jr. or Joe Biden? Forget them. I'm getting over you saying topless, Rick saying rack. <laughs> this whole thing has gone off the rails. I have, I have no words. Um, you know, I, 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 ten million views. I, I am quite speechless at this point. Uh, I just hope the debates don't focus on weightlifting. I hope that they are a about policy. <laughs> I'd say my job here is done. <laughs> Nothing like tripping up Rick and Jeannie. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.